0: Hey Landon What's up? You know, ever since I was a small boy podcaster I've had one dream And that dream is to have a presenting sponsor And today,
1: this dream became a reality And why don't, why don't you tell the people about it? Today and every episode's presenting sponsor Is going to be FEF Law The official injury lawyers of Austin FC So thanks to the good folks at FEF
0: Law For making that happen for us And everybody enjoy the show
1: friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. On today's show, we're going to chat briefly with the Austin FC beat writer for the Austin American Statesman, Mike Craven. We're also going to be joined by our good friend, Chris Wellhausen, to review La Copita and preview the first regular season game versus LAFC. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey everybody, I'm Jeremiah
0: Bentley, and I am joined, as sometimes, by
1: Chris Wellhausen.
2: Howdy, y'all. <laughs> thanks for having me on. Hey, Chris. Uh,
1: so we are we are kind of talking a, a bit off off air for a second about uh, h- how we feel leading into this first game week, and we decided to save it for for this portion of the show because it was prime content. So Chris Wilhousen, how are you feeling?
2: <laughs> first of all, every time I am on this pod, I think it's prime content. So I don't know why I had to give the disclaimer. <laughs> um, a little humble brag, but... Man, I'm amped up. I'm going to be honest, like I knew it was going to be emotional when we got here to Game Week. I did not expect this level of energy. I mean, we're recording pretty late at night and I I feel like if Wolf knocked on my door and was like, "I need you to go run a half marathon," it'd be the first half marathon of my life and I'd complete it instantly. I'm like so <laughs> unbelievably amped. I don't think I'm going to sleep. It's like all Christmases of my life, all Christmas eves of my entire life. <laughs> Is how i feel right now bind <laughs> into one week
1: i just i just pictured little baby chris wellhausen as a kid in like footie pajamas on christmas morning just like bouncing out of his skin he's so excited
2: dude more like 27 year old chris <laughs> wellhausen the joy doesn't stop
1: um <laughs> jeremiah how about you how are you feeling
0: uh well you know i talked about this but you know, it's just it's been such a journey that it's a little bit surreal, and it has has, has not quite become real to me yet. And so, at some point, probably Friday, I'll, I'll I'll be in in full Wellhausen mode. I'll have to text you, let you know when I catch up with you. But <laughs> never yes, I haven't never go Never go full wellhousing.
1: Never go full Wellhausen. Okay. Go full Wellhausen. <laughs> um, I, I think this is something that frustrates my wife, but um, she she's a bit of a feeler, like she feels a lot of emotions, which is it's a good thing. Amen. But I'm like a kind of person who like is never too high, never too low. And I just kind of sit in this middle space all the time. And so over the last couple of weeks, I've had to like tell myself, like, let yourself be excited, like be excited about this because it's a very special moment. I just like think back at uh, like to, I don't know, three years ago. When, When did we meet, Jeremiah? Probably at least probably. Yeah, like October seventeen, right? So something like that, yeah. Over three, yeah. So yeah, uh, a long time ago, and like w- it's all been leading up to this, and like I, I am very excited, but I think just like my, my general levels are a little bit different than Chris's, and so like, you might not, I might not be showing it, uh, but I am very excited, and also I got my second uh, COVID vaccine yesterday, yeah, so nice. I've got I've got a little of those uh those second shot blues going on today and feel a little bit shivery and tired all day. So that's not helping my my excitement. But I am I am extremely excited for for this game.
2: Well, don't worry, guys. I think I've got enough excitement for like half the city right now. So it <laughs> should be covered across the board.
1: All right. Well, we want to uh, kind of give a little review of La Copita. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to jump into last week's press conferences. Um, as always, it was Josh Wolf, Jeremiah. What were some of the the things we learned in that midweek press conference with Josh Wolf? Well, one of the things that I, that I wrote in here that KVU covered is he
0: talked a lot about possessing the ball and playing attacking football. And so, on the KV had a special last night, uh, like an hour long, or Sunday night, depending on when you're listening had an hour long preview and they'd strung together like every time he'd said that in a press conference, there were like (laughs) 10 different occasions of those, of of (laughs) those statements. So he, so he used both those in there. You know, I think we, we had discussed a little about the load, about how many games they are playing. And so one of the other things that that he mentioned was that was really intentional to sort of get them to persevere through tired legs in the preseason and see what they look like when they're playing their, what the third game in seven days by the time they get to San Antonio.
1: Um, and we'll get, we'll get into this in, in the La Copita stuff, but, um, in those last two games, most players went 90 and he, he was intentionally not making subs to try to push these guys and, and see where they were at, uh, as far as their fitness goes. So that, I thought that was an interesting point.
0: Yep. He did that. He talked about, you know, sort of the responsibility the club feels about being the first professional team in Austin. I don't remember who asked him that uh bill's asking about about Burhalter, who i think has become one of your favorites right landon oh yeah i'm i'm pretty high on
1: on on Lil sebastian little sebastian <laughs>
0: little sebastian yeah and he talked about all these like super coachy technical things um what ball security ball processing i don't even know what that is but apparently he's pretty good at it <laughs> um and then just sort of his mo- emotional maturity is like being a coach's kid and being growing up around that environment and then um yeah, those are the big things. out of wolf. We got Gallagher. Uh, we got John Gallagher for the first time for like ten minutes too. Um, he talked a lot about how much he liked eating in Austin and how he'd spent more <laughs> spent more man. money than he sh- than he should in the first month. Uh, and then they asked him about the culture. I thought this was pretty instructive to what we've heard about Josh Wolf's system. But they asked, they had to compare like the team culture in Atlanta and Austin. And he talked about how Atlanta was a lot more loose um, and that the team leaders in Austin which I think he specifically talked about ring Beasler, and sweat, I think, um, had done a really good job of like instilling discipline and kind of making sure everybody came, you know, came, to, came to work every day and, and came to play and wasn't messing around. So
2: I can imagine, those, can you imagine showing up five minutes late to practice and ring is the dude that's like going to confront you about it? I would <laughs> be terrified. <laughs> I'd never be late again.
1: I, 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 the, like the kind of the tone setting by the leaders, um, we've we've heard enough players talk now that that i like those things are starting to ring very true uh and i think if you heard one player say like oh the like practices have been super impressive they're very structured we're learning a lot everybody's working super hard if you heard one guy say that sure whatever he could just be like given the company line but we've heard some of these younger guys who aren't as press savvy uh seem like they're speaking pretty honestly and pretty earnestly saying these exact same things and just saying that they're very impressed with how structured everything is and how clear the plan is and how good of a teacher Wolf is. So, uh, yeah, just another player, Gallagher, here, saying those exact same things. So um, I thought one of the most interesting parts was a question that you asked him, Jeremiah, about uh, him playing number nine. And so uh, why don't you go over a little bit about that question and kind of the answer that he gave you? Yeah, well, the question was, um, because obviously his
0: style of playing nine is – different from danny houston's and it was you know did josh will set them up to perform that those roles differently or was it just you know he was just playing to his strength so really the question was like how much flexibility did did he have in his approach to the role and he he said a little bit of like he said a little bit of both was his first answer but he did talk a lot about the difference in their styles and so i really think it was josh telling them to you know play it play it in the way to that leads to his strengths, and so he said, "You know, Hussen's more of a traditional hold-up style midfielder, and his job is to midfielder, uh, no number nine, and then his job is to more stretch the field and create space for himself and create space for others." Which, I mean, given that what he said, he played, he's played every position but goalkeeper. Yeah, um, yeah. he, in, said in he played,
1: he played uh, center back even for Atlanta at one point, which is crazy. The, he ended, ended he the really? season playing as their number yeah. nine and was their leading scorer. <laughs> And the, the thing that he didn't
0: say specifically that he made it seem like is that he was training on the wing because he talked about not training at nine at first and assume when Schoenfeld got hurt, like they didn't have another option. And that's they moved him up because he said he wasn't originally a nine. That wasn't where he was, but that he would transitioned
1: to that. He also didn't act like he was like thrilled to be playing there. <laughs> Did you get that sense? I got that sense. Yeah, he, he didn't seem like he loved it. He's like being I mean, a trooper did. about it. He wasn't complaining, but he got the sense that like he's like a little bit like, yeah, I'm doing it because they're asking me to and I'm going to do my best, but I'd rather be on the way.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think he saved he was a victim of his own flexibility yeah. in some ways is
1: what he mentioned. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's, um. Let's we'll We'll get to talk about Gallagher more Uh. in our our kind of state of the team bit when we get to that in a second. But let's move on to the uh, little Sebastian Burhalter segment. What did we learn from him? Yeah, he talked about um sort of growing up around
0: soccer because this was a question I think Bills asked. Yeah, that's right. Wolf asked asked Josh Wolf about you know Burhalter and sort of having you know a coach and a dad and a mentor and all that you know and how that sort of was reflected in in the player. Um and so for, for
1: background there, um, coach Wolf and Burhalter not only coached together in MLS but they played together in Germany, and so uh, Burhalter's kids and Wolf's kids were all around each other since they were little kids in, in Germany and then in Columbus again. So they've known each other, their families have known each other since those kids were born pretty much.
0: Yeah. And he talked about sort of growing up around pros and what that meant. And you I think you could see that in his pro- approach and even like, it was the youth just the way he answered questions and was, and was comfortable about it oh, in yeah. a way he was, you know, he's really natural. Like he's clearly a professional player's kid and taking advantage of that. Um, he did talk about learning from Alex ring, which would make a lot of sense if you're defensive mid, you know, playing the same position. And then, um, another, I think interesting thing that was reflective of Josh's style is, uh,
1: Oh, I did. Somebody like me asked about, uh, <laughs> I think it was really your question, right? Cause you couldn't make it. Oh yeah. I, we were all sending questions into each other because I wasn't going to be there. Yeah.
0: Yeah was about what the difference was between playing the six in Austin versus playing the six in Columbus. And he said it was a little bit easier here because the role was very clearly defined and there was less um,
1: freelancing opportunities available. Yeah. that, That makes, I didn't think about that, but it makes a lot of sense because Columbus has mostly played a double, double pivot system with like their starters are usually Nagby and Artur. And so like Artur is the more defensive of them, but it usually ends up in front of Nagby. And so, here with just that one pure six, I, I could see how it would make a young player kind of feel a bit more comfortable knowing like this is what you're here to do. These are your, your responsibilities. Only worry about these things. Whereas in that double pivot, you kind of have to read the game a little bit different and read your partner and kind of play off of what they're doing. So I hadn't I really thought about that, but it makes a lot of sense. W- one other thing that uh that Chris Bills brought up that I thought was interesting um is he compared... Uh, Burhalter's playing style to uh, Will Trap, who is kind oh, of yeah. kind of like Greg Burhalter's other son, um, and like you played with him under played under him at Columbus, and then uh, was kind of like during the transition period into the national team. Trap was always there, even if he wasn't playing, was on the sideline talking to players and kind of helping people understand. Um, understand the the system that he's trying to install there and so it's yeah it's it's really interesting to see him play that way but i really like the fact that he's got kind of that finesse game that trap has but trap is not really a defensive force and now he's going to get to play with ring who will knock a dude out every once in a while and i i like that he's going to get that uh that influence and kind of learn from a different style of six while he's here Uh, any other press conference stuff
0: before we move on? No, let's move on and talk about La Copita briefly before we get into
1: what we have in store for the for the season. All right, let's do it. So uh, FC Dallas ended up winning the entire tournament. I don't think they lost any games. Um, we, t- we had talked about what the cup was going to look like, and it was a, a very small, <laughs> a very small metal <laughs> cup, which was kind of fun. Um Austin FC's final game was versus San Antonio FC. This one was not streamed, and so we didn't get to watch it. But uh there were a lot of supporters there, and Chris Bills was there standing on a hill looking over a fence into the field and could kind of make out the game. So we got uh quite a few updates from Chris Bills about the game. Uh Before we jump into that, Chris Wellhausen, you kind of helped organize getting all those fans out there. And I'm sure a lot of people listening will have seen the the video of the fans up on the, up on the Hill there. Tell us a little bit about that experience.
2: Yeah. You know, it's so funny when I started talking with, you know, guys like Rigo and Kirk and Mateo about wanting to do something like this for the preseason tournament, it, my intention in the beginning was like, this should be done on the the down low. And I don't, you know, in case this is not like a Okay, thing to do. I don't want my name out there very, but now it's like (laughs) it's been published everywhere (laughs) that I've been very involved. But um, so clearly, great at keeping secrets. But um, no, it was it was amazing, man. You know, I think anyone that knows me well and has listened to me talk about soccer knows that what I'm most passionate about is fan culture. And the reason we went out there is just to really show like this is different than the kind of fan culture you see at some of the other clubs around the country, and it's just a whole new level, and we want to prove that, and I think this is a great testament to that because, I mean, on Saturday for San Antonio, we had over 100 people show up, and, and you know, if you if you haven't seen the video, go look it up on, on Twitter, and, I mean, it's, it's really incredible. The energy was high, and I think that's part of the reason maybe I'm a little more amped than you guys right now because <laughs> I was just so pumped up, like, singing with those guys, and it was the full 90, you know? I mean, you always talk about fans you respect around the world. And they're the ones that sing the full 90, but seeing full 90 on a dirt mound outside, like just over a fence outside of a preseason game. Like that's intense. That's dedication. And it was, it was amazing, man. It was, it was fun. The players came over at the end and, and cheered for us. And we got to sing Alex ring happy birthday, which he seemed really touched by. And it was just like a cool moment of, of realizing like how intertwined I think the fans and the players are and creating the club as a whole it was a really it was a really special experience for me.
1: Yeah, the those videos were great. So if any of you listening to this for some reason haven't seen any of those go find that video of uh of Alex Ring walking up uh, like kind of walking towards them as they're saying happy birthday to him. That's pretty special. Um so the game that that was at was the the final game of La Copita versus San Antonio as I mentioned before. Austin FC won 5 to 1. Uh the goals were by Two from Cecilio Dominguez, one from Danny Hoosin, one from Pochettino on another free kick, which looked like it was pretty good. Again, we don't have any footage of this, but Um, from...
2: I've got to interject just because it was one of the brief moments I got a clear view of. It looked better than the first one that we like. (laughs) It was beautiful. It was just... Kissed the top of the crossbar and... Or the bottom of the crossbar and went in and it was just like... I remember turning to Chris Haig when... We were we were there and I was like, is he just gonna like break records this year? Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's gonna be every game. Like, it was amazing.
1: Yeah, it's pretty encouraging to see him. Uh, we've been worried about where goals are gonna come from, and if we can get one of those every few games, that that would help a lot. Um, and then the last goal was uh, a penalty that Alex Ring scored. Um, like I said, we didn't get to see a ton of this, so we weren't sure what exactly it looked like, but. Most of the players went 90 minutes. Um, we think we've got a pretty good idea of who the starting 11 is from this game because uh, the next day they played uh, Rio Grande Valley and played a completely different 11, most of whom also went the full 90. And so the starting 11 versus San Antonio FC was uh, Brad Stuver in goal, Nick Lima, Johan Romagna, Matt Beasler, Ben Sweat, Daniel Pereira, Alex Ring, Tomas Pacchettino. Uh, Jared Stroud, Danny Houston, Cecilio Dominguez. Uh, and then Andrew Tarbell played for a half. And then Freddie Kleeman played for about um, 15 minutes or something like that. Other than that, they went the full 90. It looks like Wolf was, like he said in the press conference, is really trying to push uh, their their conditioning and kind of see, make sure they can actually go a full 90 when they need to. Um, then in the post, the there was a post game press conference. Uh, what did Wolf say about the game in the press conference, Jeremiah?
0: Yeah, uh, Chris uh, Bills asked him about the fan support, and he talked about the players recognizing, and enjoying it, and how they didn't really. I don't know if you got this, Chris. Like I felt like after the Dynamo game and y'all, are... well, I think maybe you, you could make it because it was Easter, but like after fans were out there, like I, I wondered if it was going to be okay, you know. And then um, I think Bills asked for pre court at the stadium. About it, pre-court's like, yeah, it was great. We loved it, and like for me, that was like a sigh of relief. It's like, oh, we should, like, it's cool. We should go do this again. And then to hear uh, Wolf bring it up in the post-game press conference after the session, second match, I thought was really cool too.
1: And I, I think going back to that first game against Houston, where there were quite a few fans out there, like fifty or sixty fans, I think for that one, I heard some people say that they were a little bit disappointed the players didn't come over after that one. But I don't, I don't think the game was over. Like they did some more scrimmage stuff afterwards. So I don't think the players were like done, done. Yeah. Otherwise, I, so. I imagine they would have gone over there and waved. So I think fans can feel better about that part of it as well, mm-hmm. just because the fan by the time they were actually done, most of the fans were gone.
2: Well, Wolf, I think actually addressed it and said that in that game they went out to thank them, but they we had, they had already left after that that post game scrimmage, and so it was I was actually really encouraged to hear that because I think you know, like I said earlier, it's it's all intertwined. You know, the connection between the players and the fans, and it's it's. Imp- it's cool to see they seem really mindful of that and really appreciative of that extra effort that's being made. And I was, I'm glad Wolf addressed it because it was it was nice to hear that.
1: I imagine if any player ever tries not to do that, Matt Beazler will probably drag them over by their ear. To do <laughs> that.
2: Yeah,
0: or Ring will just glare at them until they do. Um, and the other thing, I'm sure we're going to get into this when we do state of the team, but he did say there's a real, real deal keeper competition, and I think the minutes that Stuver and Tarbell each played is evidence of that. Um he did say he hoped that one of them would separate, you know, from the other. And I guess that hasn't happened yet. So they're both going to get their chances. Um, which I thought was an interesting point. That's reflected in like the minutes people played too.
1: Um, Jared Stroud was also interviewed. Was there any highlights from his his little bit?
0: Yeah, I guess he talked about his
1: well again, we could cover this, like
0: positional flexibility, and then he's training on both wings. Um and he played uh, where he did because Rodney was out, so hopefully Rodney will be back for LAFC. And then um, I think we can probably expect a very high scoring match versus LAFC because both Stroud and Wolf talked a lot about how LAFC likes to press and play the style of play, and that's going to open them up to the counter. and They're and they're going to be there's going to be chances really? when they
1: when they spread the field out. Yeah, I thought something very interesting talking when Stroud was talking is he said that uh, he like mentioned similarities between here and red bull and, and like specifically mentioned like their pressing and i was like interesting we haven't we haven't like they've been doing some counter pressing like when they lose the ball but we haven't seen like full-on red bull pressing yeah and maybe we'll see more of that as the players get more fit but or maybe he's just talking about those little moments of counter pressing but i thought that was really interesting because that's something that stroud would would shine doing and um maybe some uh some solace knowing that if Rodney's not able to go, that he'll be there to do that. But
2: well, I know um, that Wolf too had talked months and months ago about utilizing the heat in the summer here in a pressing system because if you're not used to it, it's even harder to run the full 90 on. And I just thought that was brilliant. Like that is a huge home field advantage we have. And having guys like Jared Stroud who are good pressers, I think in the long run, when we have that back end long stretch of home games, it's, it's gonna be amazing to watch that press in the heat that they're they've become acclimated to.
1: So after La Copita, I think we have a pretty good idea of who the preferred starters are, because the preferred starters we think were the ones playing against San Antonio, the backups played against RGV. Um, I want to go through position by position and just kind of do a state of the team. Uh, Who do we think is going to be the starter against LAFC and how do we feel about that? And so, um, yeah, like I said, let's go from from back to front, and we can just kind of talk through each one. So, at goalkeeper, as I, as we talked about before, Wolf says that there's still comp- a competition going on there, and he said that both of them are going to be getting minutes. Uh, Brad Stuver said in some press availability uh, last week, I believe that uh, that they're still competing. So, who do we think we're going to see against LAFC? Do you have any idea? I'll I'll stick with Tarbell. Personally, I don't.
0: I haven't seen anything from Brad Stuver so far that makes me, in the matches, it makes me go go away from that opinion.
2: Yeah, I agree, and I'll even take it on another level. I think Wolf's playing mind games a little bit with the comment he made, because both those guys weren't nailed on starters at their old team. And I think if I were Tarbell coming in after that playoff experience with the crew this past year, I would assume it's kind of my spot to lose. I think he's. I really think he said that to like hype him up and say you better work this week and be ready because this is not <laughs> going to be handed to you but cuz i mean after especially like after his playoff performance with the crew you you think you'd have to play Tarbell against such a good team as LAFC and the the intensity that will come with this first game and the pressure of that and he's just more proven in those settings
1: yeah i i think it's going to be Tarbell but um on, this is one where this is maybe the one that i'm like least confident about as to, like, who's going to be the starter on Saturday and who's going to be the long-term starter, but I think Tarbell does still have the edge. I think he looked a little bit better in those preseason games uh, yeah. and probably had the edge already coming in, so I think that's who we'll see.
2: Well, we'll all um, look foolish when um, Brady Scott is the nailed-on starter come <laughs> Saturday. Um. I mean, he,
1: he gave
0: up two versus RGV, though, right? So, I mean, that, that's not a good uh, sign.
2: Brady Scott did?
0: Yeah, didn't Brady Scott play the RGV match? Yeah, well, he probably played
2: just getting it out of his system I'm i,
1: sure I do does. think in chris bills's report um uh, that he said that he got like hung out to dry a couple of times too so I don't, I don't know that those are entirely his fault um let's move on to right back so i think this one's easy nick lima period he's the right back right yep um yep. i feel pretty good about that how do y'all feel about nick lima at right back
2: i think i feel good about it it's gonna be a big test for him you know because he'll be matched <laughs> up against uh Diego Rossi, which is one of the best players in the league, um, I, and especially in one-on-one situations. So it makes me tough. But yeah, it's it's got to be Lima. He's he's too good.
1: I think something interesting about Nick Lima, I, I don't know if if you guys were able to listen to the MLS Assist podcast, which is hosted by a friend of the show, Joe Lowry. Um, they were doing very specific predictions for each of the teams in the West on the show the most recent show, and his prediction for Austin FC was that they would use inverted fullbacks more than any other team. Um mm-hmm. be and I don't I I think he makes he's making that prediction having not seen these preseason games because that didn't happen in any of these preseason games. Um Nick Lima was used by Greg Berhalter as instead like in a traditional like modern fullbacks, they'll overlap and kind of push up the field in this system. Instead, the left back would kind of slide in as a third center back. And that right fullback who was Lima would slide into like a double pivot in the midfield. And so it's a thing that Nick Lima is capable of doing and would be very good at, but we've not seen it yet. Um, Would you guys be surprised to see Wolf kind of throw that out there as a surprise tactic against LAFC? I
2: would, I think, Lima while well, he's capable of doing that and we saw with the national team of playing that kind of inverted fullback role and being more defensive. I I think he's just super talented to it being a part of the attack. I mean, he's got a great long distance shot on him. He's got a decent cross. He's got a bit of pace to him as well. I think it, I think he'll be utilized more as an attacking fullback then as that kind of pre old Berhalter, like double pivot kind of inverted fullback setup.
1: Yeah. I, I think it's something we could see at some point in the season, but it doesn't really seem like that's what Wolf is trying to do right now. Um, so I would be surprised if we saw it early. But again, he could, like you said, could be playing mind games with uh, with LAFC and could throw a wrinkle in there at some point. Um, let's move on to center back. This is probably one of the points of contention. So uh, I think we can all agree that Beasler is the guy on the left. Any Any objections there?
2: Um, only objection is I love Freddie Kleeman and I wish he got the spot but it will be. <laughs> uh, so the,
1: the one that's up for grabs or maybe up for grabs is the right center back. Um, Romagna started against San Antonio with that group of starters and Kleeman came on late and played about 15 minutes and played on the right, which we hadn't seen him there yet and played next to Beesler. So that was kind of a new combination that it looks like maybe he was trying out. Uh, who do you guys want to see on the right at that center back spot? I'd still like to see Romagna. And I, and I feel like, I feel like that's
0: who it's gonna be because despite not amazing play, I mean, he's he stuck with him. You know, he started the Houston match. Um and then he and then when we when we had San Antonio and it was all the starting lineup, like he he came back to him. So Josh Wolf seems pretty committed to the Johan Romagna experiment, as far as I can tell. Chris, what about you?
2: I, I go back and forth on this constantly in my head. I think he's going to start Romagna just based on the preseason lineups. I almost wish he would start Cascante. Um, just because I think Cascante's got more league experience. He's played this team before. I think, and I hope, that Wolf is more willing to play more like a low block, deep lying defensive approach than like try to enforce this possession game, in which case I think... Cascante would be less at risk for being caught on the break and where we've seen him exposed pretty badly in preseason. Um, and just, I, I like Romani. I'm really big on him, but he's mistake prone right now. And we saw that in preseason too. And this is a team that like will capitalize on any mistake easily. They're a high pressing team. Those center backs are going to be really in the thick of it. And I think knowing that part of me hopes that we'll plays a low block, not necessarily parks the bus, but you know, brings the bus around at least, and and you anchor Cascante and um, utilize what I think he's got a bit more composure on the ball.
1: The way that I'm thinking about it is if Carlos Vela or Diego Rossi gets into space and it's the keeper and there's one defender that's in the general area, and it's got to be one of those three guys. It's either Cascante, Romagna, or Freddie Kleeman. Who are you picking to make that play? I'm for picking for me, it's Romagna. It's, <sighs> I think Romagna is the m- – most of the, the mistakes that he's been making, he has made some defensive mistakes, but most of his mistakes have been with the ball, either playing a sloppy pass, a sloppy touch. But as far as just someone who's physically gifted enough, to even stand a chance at maybe shutting down or like even tackling Carlos Vela or Diego Rossi once. I think, I think he's the guy.
2: I mean, yeah. If, if that's the only situation and LAFC definitely can <laughs> counter, but what they're best at is this like kind of Klopp esque heavy metal press and the mistakes almost a hundred percent of the big mistakes Romagna made was not being able to play out of the back yet. Cause he's still learning the system. I mean, if you watched the Club America game and the Champions League and the CONCACAF Champions League with uh, LAFC, I think all three of their goals were on a press, a high press. And two of them were from Vela. So I think for that reason, I'm, I'm hesitant to start him because he's only got to make two bad passes out of the back and they're way too quick and way too lethal to not take advantage of that. Whereas I think... Like I said before, you you bring the, de- the line defensive line back and you hold Cascante as an anchor rather than someone who has to cope with a counter if you're bringing the line up. And I think he would do better tactically in that setup. But it, it depends on what Wolf does. I think, yeah, in your situation, Romania is going to recover quicker and be better. But I don't know. I just, I would still, I think I'd pick Cascante.
0: He's just like, I just worry, Cascante can't make one false step.
1: Because if he does, he's he's toast it almost seems like he's not completely fit right now. Like I think Chris Bills mentioned that he and Kleeman both looked pretty tired at the end of that 90, um, against RGV. And so, yeah, maybe even if he was, um, favored right now, maybe he's not even fit enough to be starting, but I don't know that that's definitely one of the spots I'll be keeping an eye, keeping an eye on as the lineups come out on Saturday. Um, Let's move on to left back. Uh, I think this one's pretty clear right now as well. Ben Sweat, any objections there?
2: My only potential objection is I could see Wolf saying, let's only have one fullback go up, which Lima is the best to do that. And Vela is such a threat on that right wing. Let's play Jimenez, who's this experienced veteran and can play there and have him hang back to cope with a potential counter as a back three that sits at all times. And so that's the one thing I could see happening. But I, I think, again, based on preseason, it's probably going to be sweat, and he just tells him to not be as uh, forward-thinking as he may normally against a more leveled opponent.
1: Yeah, I don't I – th- <laughs> I think – Josh Wolf is going to stick to his guns. I don't think we're going to see many changes just because we're playing a good team on the first game. Just I think he's going to right go into, into his mind
2: games, Landon.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think long term, Kolmanich could push him for that spot. Um, Aiden Stanley, I think he's looked fine, but I don't think he's done anything to stand out really, uh, or like to take that spot away from Sweat. I think Sweat has actually been pretty solid in these preseason games. Yeah. So I don't think he's done much to lose that spot. And so, um, Kolmanich just got out of quarantine, not, not more than a few days ago and hasn't been with the team very long. So long-term, I think he's got a chance to push for that spot, but right now I think Ben sweats, the guy, and I'm actually fine with that. I think he's looked good. I think he's given me some confidence in him to, to hold that spot down for the time being. All right, let's move on to the number six again. Easy. Alex ring. Uh, I think he's one of our best players, uh, and I think he's going to show to be one of the best at his position in the league this year. I don't think he was really put in a position to shine uh, in New York last year or part of the year before, even for that matter. Um, but I think he's going to be in a spot where he feels really natural. He's, I think he's going to do really well, and I think he's going to get some attention from around the league as far as when you're talking about who the best sixes in the league are. I think his name's going to come up.
2: Yeah, it's got to be Ring, right? I mean, he's he's arguably looked the best out of the entire team in preseason, and this is a game that is going to be won or lost in the midfield because both teams like to play possession. So it's it's got to be him. He's such an enforcer. He's going to help us dictate that tempo in a big way.
0: Yeah, I agree that that style is really important too, because to for us to have a chance to hold up is like just the way the way he plays the six and the threat he is. I think it will be really important.
1: Yeah, um, as I mentioned before, been super encouraged by by little Sebastian's play so far. So really happy. I think there's some spots where we're not super deep. Uh, it seems that um, Hector Jimenez is our preferred backup right back and left back at the moment. <laughs> and so, like, say Nick Lima gets injured, and Jimenez is playing right back, and then like I, th- there's a few spots where i still feel it we're a little bit thin uh but i'm pretty happy with our with our two sixes right now if if ring had to be out for a little while i'd be pretty happy with with burhalter stepping in for a few games if he needed to agreed uh let's move on to the left wing cecilio right has to be yeah. has to be um i watched through the dynamo game again on that first watch i didn't like You didn't see a ton of him doing anything dangerous. And until I watched it again, I kind of took that to mean like maybe he didn't have a very good game. Whenever he got the ball, he he was fine. Like, I don't think he played bad. I think the team needs to do a better job of getting him in getting him the ball in dangerous positions where he can do more dangerous things. Mm. A lot of times when he received the ball, it was kind of more of like an outlet or like he had to step away from a man and like get it running away from goal out towards the touchline. So I just don't think he got the ball in many dangerous areas, but whenever he did get it, he, he was showing his quality. So I'm not worried about Cecilio. Um, I think this is kind of the system thing. They need to kind of gel together and figure out how to get him the ball, where he needs to get the ball. And once they start doing that, I think he's going to look good. Yeah. And he like in the,
0: what was it? Dallas, he drew a penalty <clears throat> like the, yeah, what two minutes? Two minutes in or something? He was dangerous, and obviously, he was super dangerous against San Antonio since he scored. you know, what twice in the first thirty minutes or whatever. So I, I feel better about that than
1: I did from the first time I watched the the Houston match. Yeah, then we got Super Sub Kakuta. There's his his backup. Uh, My man. Who I think has looked. He Kakuta's looked looked good. I don't think he's looked so good that you would need to shoehorn him into this lineup. At any spot, mm-hmm. uh, but if if uh, Cecilia gets tired or needs to come off, or they end up shifting stuff around, I, I feel good about Kakuta coming off the bench with his his pace and kind of his busyness on the ball. I think he could really do some damage late in games.
2: Yeah, I really think Kakuta is one of our two really super subs. If we're being honest, like he's got so much pace, he's so good in those one on one counter attacking moments. Like if you've got a tired team you're trying to edge against, I, I think he's the the perfect substitute throw on and, and just really go at players. Uh, Who's your other one? You said
0: you, one, one of two.
2: Well, I don't know what the position is next, but I think okay. Fagundes would be my other super sub.
0: Okay.
1: That is where we're going next is the the two free eights, tens. Wolf calls them tens. Can we just make a decision now to call this position the tens, the two but tens from, free eights from now on?
2: It has such a like fun ring to it. I'm
1: so <laughs> I think Matt that. Doyle usually calls it a free eight, which I think is why I do that because he's the one I usually hear talking about these things, but Wolf has called them tens. So I'm going to call them tens. Um, Pochettino and Pereira started uh, with that starting group against San Antonio. And then Fagundes and Argudo played against RGV. Um, What have y'all thought about Fagundes so far? I've been underwhelmed.
0: I can't think of a lot of creation he's done. I can't. I watched both those, well, Houston and Dallas pretty closely. And I I mean, there wasn't a moment where I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I really I've got a lot of love for Diego in my heart and I want I want him to be good, (laughs) but I have not seen a lot out of him in the preseason that leads me to believe that he's going to have that big bounce back that I hope he would have.
1: Have you accepted Diego Fugundes into your heart, Jeremiah? (laughs) Um, I have. I'm sad (laughs) about it now. I, I agree with you, Jeremiah. I think he's he's been fine. He's not made any mistakes or done anything really bad, but for the most part, it seems like he gets the ball and kind of recycles it to another player, just kind of moves it along. But I haven't seen him do anything super dangerous with it yet. Um, so, yeah, I I don't think he's done much to show that he deserves that starting position over Pereira. Pereira has made some mistakes, but I think his highs have been higher than Diego's in this preseason.
2: Well, surprise, surprise! I disagree with both of you. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think I think he's looked good. You've got to factor in, in these preseason performances. Who's he playing with? He's been on the B team, you know, which I think is revealing of who we'll see this weekend. But have we have we seen him play with Cecilio? Have we seen him get really solid time with Huesin? Who's going to make the runs for him to create with? Who's going to feed off of his one touch passing? Like he's shown really good spurts. And I would say too, the biggest takeaway I've had from him is. He was pretty outward, and Landon, you've, you've mentioned this a few times and saying he doesn't want to play defense. And I saw him track back a lot in some of those preseason games and really hustle, and if he's willing to, to do that, like I think he's he's going to be amazing for us. And I think he does have that quality. I just don't think he's been surrounded by the players on the field in preseason to really bring it out. That is
1: one thing that has kind of surprised me with him playing in that spot. I kind of I – I've – when we were doing our, like, picking 11s leading up to these games, I always looked at that position as, like, a stylistic choice, and if they wanted to play, like, a bit more forward and, like, mm-hmm. attack-minded, that Fagundes would be the option there, and if they were looking to sit back a little more, then Pereira might be the option, but he's really played it the same way as those other two guys. Like, he's not really changed the style of the game, which... um I think Wolf is thinking about it more of like a like for like replacement and less of like a stylistic change if Diego's in there. So, uh, yeah, you could be entirely right, Chris, that he just hasn't had the pieces around him uh, to win that spot or to to look good. But I think before these games, they were mixing those squads quite a bit. And he was playing with some of those some of those guys in the like the scrimmages and in practice and things like that. And Danny Pereira still won that spot. So yeah. yeah, I, I, I hope he, he looks good, and I, I hope that uh, he is able to come off the bench and be dangerous or kind of rotate in as people need resting or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I just I, I just haven't really seen that in in these preseason games yet. Yeah. So do you all think Pochettino and Pereira, are those going to be our starters against LAFC? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I do as well. I was more defending Diego as a super sub and just like his quality in general. But I do think – And for really encouraging reasons, Pereira will be the starter. And can we just, like, we have to take a moment and say, like, when he was drafted over Mayaka, I think we all had a moment of, like, what just happened? Is this the right decision? But my Philip Mayaka, for those that don't know, has been loaned out to a USL side from the Colorado Rapids, and Pereira is looking like a nailed-on starter. So, I mean, even before the first kick, it's looking like it was a pretty solid use of that first draft pick. So shout-out to the scouts.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's a complete indictment of Mayaka because Nah, he's done.
2: <laughs> he's <laughs> because washed. they've
1: got they've got Jack Price and Kellen Acosta starting in those spots there, and they might just be looking to put him somewhere to get minutes. But I think you're right in that Danny Pereira has kind of uh, proven why they they picked him there, and I, I think he's he's shown a lot of upside. Um, Wolf has spoken pretty highly of him in press conferences recently. Uh, And like mentioned that they're working on like body shape and like pretty small, like detailed things. It's like no real critiques. It's like little things that are going to make him those incremental amounts better that are really going to put him over the top. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited about what, what Pereira is going to do this year. He's, he's young and experienced. He's going to make some mistakes. He, he made uh, on the rewatch of the Houston game. He made some pretty bad mistakes playing the ball around the back. Um, as far as just kind of sloppy passes, but I think these are things that he'll grow out of and he'll learn just kind of adapting to the pace of, of this new league. Uh, so yeah, excited to see what he can do. Let's move over to the right wing. It kind of seemed like Rodney Redis, uh, had made this his spot, but he came out of the Dallas match with a knee injury. And so he didn't play either of those, the, the games this weekend against San Antonio or RGV. And so Jared Stroud started in that spot. It seems to me that if Rodney's fully fit, he's going to be the guy, and if he's not, then Stroud will be the guy. Does that seem right to you guys? Yeah, it, <clears throat> it does, and I feel more comfortable
0: with Stroud being that guy than I think I might have coming in. Um, but he's performed really well in the minutes he's had; uh, it, it made a difference. So hopefully, hopefully, it's Rodney. But if not, I don't think it's the end of the world for depth for that to be
1: for Stroud to take that spot. Yeah, I I agree. I think maybe Rodney has a bit more of that attacking quality, uh, like a bit more goal dangerous, a bit more likely to kind of make a defense a little bit scared. Stroud can do that stuff. But um, I think as far as like the work rate, tracking back all the other stuff that Rodney does, Stroud is 100% competent at and like excels at those things. So um, I don't think he's going to like make mistakes that Rodney wouldn't have. I think he's just maybe slightly less dangerous going forward
2: in the attack. See, I think this is the hardest position to predict because I think if you're just asking blankly who's the better person in that right wing spot, it's Redis. I think he's had a better preseason. But for this game, I would go Stroud because he has that Red Bull pressing mentality and that understanding of a press. And if you watch back, On the games that LAFC struggle, it's when they're pressed high or counter-pressed well. And if I'm Wolf, I'm saying, Stroud, you're going to start and your job is going to be to pressure guys like Atuesta and their back line when they think they can play possession ball and play comfortably because they're going to underestimate us as this new team, and then immediately dish it off to someone like Cecilio who's going to be ready on the break. I think he would do that better than Redes, and I think the value of that in this game will be higher than just rodney's overall superiority as a player so personally i would go stroud
1: yeah i can see that i think honestly i think rodney has the abilities to do all of those things but stroud does come from that pedigree that that red Mm -hmm. bull pedigree right so it's a thing that rodney i think is capable of but stroud is like what's the the batman quote uh You You live in the press. I was born in it.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, that's so good. But it's true. And, and, you know, I think if you think about how the game may unfold, you want Stroud pressing for 60 minutes to give you control and possibly an early lead. And then Rodney would be a more valuable substitute because he's going to come on with the same energy but maybe a more lethal attacking approach. So I would start Stroud and, and have Ronnie ready and hungry off the bench.
0: So Chris, I'm gonna oversimplify your position on the starting lineups for LA. Um, but I mean see, you seem to value a lot of people that have done it in the league, right? Because I feel like that's when, when we Absolutely. talked about Cascante over Romagna and we talked about Stroud over Redis. You know, do you is there a reason why the way LA plays like is particularly suited to that approach rather than just like rolling out your most talented 11 or what's your, what's your thought on that?
2: Uh, Yeah, man, I think it's a good question because the thing with this matchup that's so interesting and I'm interested to see what Wolf does is we play similar styles of football. They both love possession, both enjoy elements of a press. I think they press differently, but they both utilize a pressing system. Um, And the fact of the matter is right now, man for man, LAFC is the better team. If, if we both try to play possession ball, they will possess the ball. And knowing that, I think you have to make sacrifices on just trying to be better across the board and put in those tactical decisions like a Stroud who can press in the right way or maybe putting in a fullback who's more willing and capable to hang back and cope with a press in a certain way or you know someone like Cascante who can be on that low block maybe a little more competently. To, to deal with it and then and say, yeah, we're going to let you try and play, but we're going to play in a way that disrupts it rather than trying to impose our system over yours.
1: Yeah, I um yeah, I don't know. I again, I think Wolf's going to stick to his guns and isn't going to change anything at all. But I think those are entirely valid points and we may end up paying for him not changing no, anything. I,
2: I think you're right, unfortunately. <laughs>
1: Uh, All right, let's move on to the last position, which I think is another one of the more interesting ones is the number nine. So Danny Hoosen started against San Antonio with that starting group. Uh, But John Gallagher, as we talked about earlier, has has played quite a few minutes in in that spot uh, and has shown some some bright spots. I don't want to say he's like looked amazing, but he's shown little flashes of of brightness and then has played the position extremely differently. Um, I watched um, him play – kind of made a point to watch what Houston was doing and what Gallagher were doing in the Dallas and Houston games. Uh, Gallagher was looking to stretch the back line to run in behind every time. That was his first thought is, I'm going to run. And it worked a lot of times. It kind of released – they were able to release the, release the ball deep to him and when they didn't, it opened up some space in the middle for other players to kind of move into. Um, Danny Hoosin never even really tried to do that. He didn't try to run in behind. His first instinct is to kind of drop in and to kind of be like an extra midfielder to kind of play around and then dish it off and then run into the box and be there. But they play it super differently. Um, I th- I think Josh Wolf's ideal way of playing is more of what Hoosin wants to do. But there were times when what Gallagher was doing seemed to be more effective. So uh, I'm a little bit torn here. Do you guys have a preference as to who who you would see in this LAFC game?
2: Are you asking if I have a strong opinion? Is that even a question? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think you got to go with Houston not uh, because of style of play, because I think you're right. Like Gallagher looked more threatening in ways, but when you think, and I think you said Wolf earlier, mentioned the, the importance of a counter especially in this game, Houston's going to be that link up, you know, you, you win the ball back in midfield, you immediately dish it to him and he's going to be that quick one through ball to someone like Cecilio or Redis or Mane on the break. And that's how you beat LA in a big way. That's like one of the key elements. And I think he's going to, that would be more important than Stroud trying to stretch the back line because again, their midfield is so good. Like you can stretch the back line, but their midfield will make up for it. It's, it, I just don't think that's going to be the key to unlock their defense as much as Houston making the right one-touch pass that we know he can do.
0: Yeah, and I, I agree with that too. And I think where, you know, Gallagher's most effective is coming on at 67 minutes and stretching out the field for tired legs and whatever, not being the guy that's like in the middle holding up play for 90 minutes. So I w- I would agree with
1: you there. All right, so we think we have a pretty good idea of who our starting 11 is going to be. Uh, maybe come Saturday we got it completely wrong and we're playing a, a 3-4-3 with Cascante at the 9 and I don't know. something. It's going to be
2: weird. the MLS Super Draft all over again. <laughs> yeah. where we're like, we know exactly who we're going to get. <laughs> um,
1: but let's talk a little bit about the opponent, LAFC. So that game is going to be uh, Saturday, April 17th, first MLS game uh, for Austin FC against maybe the top top two teams in the league this season definitely the best team in the west as far like on paper goes so um let's go through a little bit of what lafc is going to look like uh jeremiah you want to tell us a little bit about their 2020 results yeah 2020
0: was not lafc's year for a number of reasons a lot of it being um carlos vela's wife had a baby which kept him out of MLS's back if i remember right and then when he came back to play He picked up an MCL injury, and I think he only ended up playing five games last year. So uh, in 2020, they made it to the knockout stage of MLS's back tournament because they finished second in their group. Um, Then they finished seventh in the Western Conference during the regular season and were knocked out by Seattle in a not all that competitive
1: match in the first round of the playoffs. Whenever, To be fair, they didn't have a great regular season on the whole, but when Vela did come back, they almost won. Uh, Concacaf Champions League.
0: <laughs> yeah, having him back and healthy will make a big difference to to what they do. And then, you know, the other the other big player is Diego Rossi, who doesn't get as much attention because Vela is gets so much attention.
1: Yeah, but Rossi is he kind of carried that team last year while while Vela mm-hmm. was gone. He was incredible. Um, Brian Rodriguez, who was normally playing on the left wing for them, he's been loaned to Almeria in Spain. Um. But they brought in Corey Baird from RSL. Is that where he was before? I think yeah. so. Corey Baird from RSL. He was the Rookie of the Year a few seasons ago. Really good, really solid winger. Um, so he's kind of filled in that spot. Bradley Wright Phillips, who was one of their options at the nine, was not re-signed. So he's not on this team anymore. Um, and so I I went back and looked at what the lineups they played in their two preseason games. So they played two preseason games. Um uh, against the New England Revolution. They have brought in a few uh reserves. Um, so Corey Baird is one that they brought in that will likely be a starter. Another one is uh Moon, I believe is his name. Kim Moon Juan. Kim Moon Juan, yeah. Um, as a right back, but I think he's he came in like a little bit injured and hasn't played in these preseason games and will likely not play on Saturday. So that will likely be. Tristan Blackman spot which he looked pretty dang good when he was there uh playing there last year he ended up being hurt a lot of the season two which meant Latif Blessing was having to play it right back that's not going to be the team we see they're going to have uh a close to starting 11 ready and going uh so the from front to back it'll either be uh Sisniega or Vermeer my boy Vermeer I kind of hope <laughs> it's Vermeer. So, yeah,
0: I I hope we don't. Well, I mean, I guess I hope it's uh, an Austin fan. I hope it's Vermeer. Yeah, because <laughs> he makes everything exciting. Entertainment remember,
1: value, and then also he yeah. kind of screws up pretty big time sometimes,
2: and that could the man loves a thrill.
1: Yeah, that could <laughs> fall sure. fall in Austin's favor for sure. So either Cisniega or Vermeer there, and then across the back it'll be Palacios, Segura, Murillo, Blackman, uh, in the midfield, um, Atsuesta, one of the best players in the league, and then. Most likely Latif Blessing. And then you could either see uh C Fuentes or K. I think probably I don't know. I could see any combination of those four guys being in there. That's Westa for sure. Uh Blessing seems to be pretty nailed on most of the time. And so I would guess K would be the top choice, but Cifuentes is also really good. So uh, and then the front three, something that I was interested interested to see is Danny Musovski played a lot of uh nine for them last year. In these two preseason games, their front three were Rossi, Vela, and Baird with Vela at the nine. And so um, it kind of seemed like a thing that they were forced to do a lot over the last couple of years. And it looks like they're choosing to do it right now. They didn't sign another forward, really, like a, a guy who's like definitely going to be the starter anyway. And so um, I thought that was interesting. But that's a pretty fearsome three if, uh, if the worst attacker in your front three is Corey Baird because he's definitely not a scrub in this league. So, looking at this this lineup, again, on paper probably the best team in the West. I think the only other team in the whole league that is probably better than them on paper is the Columbus Crew. Chris, I know you, you have some uh, some opinions on <laughs> on how we can beat them. How do how does Austin FC beat LAFC on Saturday?
2: Y'all, when I tell you, I've been in the weeds watching old LAFC <laughs> highlights and breaking down their tactics this weekend. My word, but you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. And I think it's actually really encouraging for us that Baird is going to be that starter because I was watching the game against Seattle that they lost. And there's really two key things on both sides of the ball that they did that I think unsettles LAFC and exploits like their very few weak points. One, and by far the most important is you guys were talking about Vela and Rossi their most important player is neither of those guys. It's Edward Atuesta. If you look at the percentage of games won and lost when they're missing someone, when he's gone, they are considerably worse. They, they've lost so many more games when he is out than when Vela is out. And it's because he is like their metronome. He's the—he's basically their Alex Ring, but instead of being this aggressive destroyer, he's this long ball distributing deep line midfielder and what's interesting about him is even though he's really good on the ball and a really good passer, he kind of lingers too long. And sometimes he he takes just one touch too many to think about his pass. So I think the key is, and I watched Seattle do this, you know, I've seen, I watched a few highlights where teams exploited this, but you, you regressively press him, man, mark him, double team him, whatever you have to do, you can unsettle him. And that's where their weakest is when they're on that, that counter press moment, when they are expecting to control the ball and dominate the game like they always do. You rough Atuesta off the ball, and suddenly their center backs are not prepared for that counter. And that's kind of why earlier I was talking about Stroud is if I'm Wolf, I'm saying, Jared, don't don't help support the wing. Let Pochettino do that. Man-mark Atuesta. Don't let them even pass it back to him. Like, stick with him when they have the ball so that they can't reset and control uh, how they distribute it in their possession system. And I, it really unsettles them. And then the other key thing I noticed in Seattle did this super well. in the highlight I watched was their wingers are incredible, right? Like we all know this and they're really good at one-on-one attacking play on the counter. Um, what they aren't great at. And especially now that they don't have Diamande or right. Phillips up top is crossing the ball in. They don't have a big man to finish that anymore. And Barrett is not a, target striker he's really good he's more of a gallagher type he's going to stretch the line he's quick um what would be wise of wolf to do and god willing he does it is play the low block keep the center backs back really crowd the box with all four let them cross it in rather than trying to go out to meet rossi on orvella with the ball where they can beat you one v one and what i saw seattle do that we should do as well is take your defensive midfielder And when they really get up on that final third, bring him into the box. I saw, uh, I think his name is Jao Paulo, is their DP defensive mid in Seattle. And every time they got high up on the wings, he dipped in and added an extra body. And it was just like a nightmare to pass a ball into because there's so many bodies in the box. And then they're just stuck passing it around, trying to lure you out to get you 1v1 and create space. And if you just don't bite... And, and leave that box crowded. They're kind of forced to either shoot long, which is always a gamble, or or cross it in, which they don't really have a guy to cross it in to in Baird. And so I'm really excited to watch how they do that, especially with how they treat at But again, if I'm Wolf, I'm saying whether it's Pereira, whether it's Stroud, whether it's Hoosen, someone has to be on him at all times. And like I think if we win the game, I'd be curious to see how many touches he gets on the ball because the lower the count that is, the better I think we're going to perform.
1: All right. Well, I think this game definitely has potential to be high scoring, given the history of LAFC and what we've seen in preseason from Austin FC. But in any case, it should be a pretty exciting one. Uh, If for no other reason, this is going to be our first game. Uh, So y'all enjoy it wherever you're going to be watching it. Soak it all in like... It's not going to be the same thing as being in that stadium for the first time, but this is going to be the first time that our team takes a field in a competitive game, in a real game. So let yourself enjoy it. Even if even if the result doesn't go our way, enjoy it. This is going to be fun. Uh, so wait. that game is going to be at um, 5 p.m. We think it's 5 p.m. It's advertises the pregame starting at 4.30 and then the game starting at 5, but Fox normally doesn't show the right time for soccer games for whatever reason, but Fox is advertising. The kickoff is at 5 PM and it's going to be on big Fox. So national TV, whole country is going to be watching. It's going to be big time. And I, I can't wait. Um, let's, uh, I think that's going to be it for this little segment. Let's take a quick break and we're going to be right back with Mike Craven, who is the beat writer for the Austin American Statesman. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency,
0: and client education. And it was also a law firm that was nominated in the Austin Chronicle uh, Best Of poll, but that closes in,
1: for today, Jeremiah, that closes in like an hour (laughs) and a half. For those of you listening, it's already closed. Hopefully, they end up with a good result there. But in any case, they were in the four finalists. So, to find out more about what makes FVF different and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case, you can go to fvf.law. Once again, that's fvf.law. Well, you don't need words to tell me things. All right, our guest today is Mike Craven, who is the Austin FC beat writer for the Austin American Statesman. Mike, thanks so much for joining us, man. Uh, thank y'all for having me. Um, to start off with, just tell us a little bit about your background in sports media and how you came to be the Austin FC reporter for the Statesman.
3: Yeah, it took a, an interesting route. I started in uh, community newspapers. My first job out of college, I was a sports editor of the Taylor Daily Press and the Hutto News. Uh, from there, I moved on to Rivals.com and I ran the UTSA site. I, I went to UTSA for college, so when they started a football uh, team, I had a chance to to run that site for for Rivals.com. So I did that until 2017 when I was hired by the Austin American Statesman to be the recruiting writer. Uh, so I covered high school football, kind of instead of covering teams, I covered basically the best players throughout the state who Texas wanted. I did a list called the Fab 55. I also did some big 12 coverage. I'm a sports gambler. So I did a sports betting column for USA today. Um, and so I thought when I was having the meeting with them about kind of talking about Austin FC coverage plans, that it was going to be to help out on just some random stuff. And then it was, no, this is a full-time job. We'd like to offer you. Uh, I'm an Austinite. I know that's kind of a unicorn thing to be these days, like actually somebody who's from here. So the opportunity to co- to cover our first, uh, professional franchise was something I couldn't pass up, especially if it meant I didn't have to uh, interview teenagers anymore. <laughs> and so it's been a, yeah, so it's been a, that happened on March 1st. Uh, I took the job It started on March 8th. So it's been a, uh, it's been a fun first month. I've just kind of, you know, dug as in, as far in as I could really.
1: Um. So what can, what can readers Austin FC fans expect from the Statesman's coverage and your coverage of the club going forward?
3: Yeah. I mean, we want to be on par uh, with everybody. I mean, this is my full-time job. We want to devote as much coverage to this as we do say like UT sports and stuff, you know, like we are Austin's newspaper. This is Austin's professional sports franchise. So I mean, for example, I'm going to the game in L.A. You know, I have flights booked for Denver. I have flights booked for all the the road games leading into that first home game. Uh, If practices were allowed to be attended, I would be at every single one of those. So, you know, we want to be uh, covering this as much as we can, as much as the budget will allow. And so far, the bosses have uh, allowed me to do anything and everything I've been able to to want to do. And hopefully as the season starts and and stuff, we uh, can continue to cover it as, as much as possible.
1: Nice. Yeah. You got to, you got to find that hill where the supporters were the other day and go stand on that to see the practices. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. That's true.
0: <laughs> Have you seen the, I, I did like a little tour of the stadium yesterday. The press box looks really nice right now. So are you excited about being in that?
3: Yeah, it was cool. It was, I, I got to go to the stadium kind of when I took the job, they invited me to, to walk around me, Kirk Bowles and my editor. And so uh, we did the tour uh, they showed me the press box. I was told I get I get to pick my seat. So I'm I'm pretty excited about it. Um the stadium's beautiful since y'all have been there. I, I guess a lot of people have been allowed in there. I mean it's it's incredible. I don't know what I was expecting when I walked in there. I guess maybe something between Dell Diamond and, and Memorial Stadium for, for UT football, maybe. And it kind of blew me out of the water. I thought it was great. I thought some of the the random little features in it with the lights that can turn a bunch of different colors, with the seats that are mesh. Um, I think it's going to be a pretty awesome, awesome event, and a pretty awesome stadium.
0: Yeah. I, just, I can't imagine what it'll be like, you know, hopefully we get to June and it'll be all full of fans and supporters. Um, And we'll, we'll blow the roof off the place for sure. Um, I think, I think that'll be exciting. So you, so you wrote this morning about the journey uh, into existence of the club. Is there anything like in particular that stood out when you're researching the piece that maybe you didn't know, or, it was a little bit of a surprise.
3: Yeah. I mean, I had followed it casually as a resident of Austin, as somebody who works at the Austin American Statesman and somebody who likes soccer, but I don't know if I, you know, really covered or really watched it and, and paid attention to it. Like, like every single detail moving forward. So uh, to just kind of learn how much of it was really just a real estate deal uh, at the end of the day, it was, they, they wanted a stadium and they wanted to be in Austin and they figured out a way to get the stadium to work here. And, and if, The stadium's not within a 15, 20 mile radius of downtown Austin. You know, this team's not here. And so uh, it was as much a real estate deal as anything else. And I I thought that was interesting. It's always uh, it's always weird to get a peek behind the curtain. Uh, Some of it's reportable. Some of it's not. Some people have different versions of what they think happened uh, a couple of years later, depending on where they are with the organization and stuff. And so there's just a lot to kind of sift through. Um, and there was a lot to go back and research, but luckily like Chris Bills who covered uh, for us previously had done a tremendous job. So I, I had a pretty easy roadmap to go back
1: and, and kind of do that simple little research about it. Yeah. We were way too involved in it during all of that. So you should probably, I saw a
3: picture of you. We almost used a picture of you. There's a picture of you with like a like a, a scarf holding up at like a, at a, at a, a section or something. And so we had to pick a photo for the Sunday newspaper, and that was one of the ones that my editor had kind of thrown out there, or whatever. So yeah, we had we almost used a photo of you. I saw. That. I was like, ah, I met him at Zilker Park.
1: <laughs> yeah, we we used to joke that our podcast was a beer and politics podcast for a while because that's pretty much all we were talking about, and there was no soccer to be talked about. So we were just covering the city council meetings and things like that.
3: Yeah, I, that's uh, that's something I'm glad I missed. I I. I feel like I'm a decent writer, but I went into journalism specifically to stay away from that kind of like beat. I, I did not want to, I I wouldn't be a sports writer. You know, I'd go make real money if I wanted to cover politics <laughs> and that kind of stuff. So I don't. And so I'm glad I got to miss most of that. And I just get to cover the actual sport.
0: Hey, did you, I was like looking through the tweets, the tweets, the Twitter this afternoon. <laughs> um and i saw a shout out to uh i think it was from you and we can cut this if i'm wrong but it was to joe lowry our friend joe lowry who uh yeah who, who, who we've interviewed on the show before did, did you talk to him in researching this story or was that that was the no, season so, preview. uh
3: i put out a piece today online i think it'll come out into the paper tomorrow or maybe the next day and i really i got with a few guys like matthew doyle Um, And some other guys um, to kind of, I just asked five, I asked them all the same five questions, got their answers back and and compiled it into a list. And so um, that was, that came out online. You can get that at statesman.com right now. I learned a lot. See, I, I've been trying to do pieces that make me learn about it. It it doubles, right? Like I get to learn what the national guys, what the big picture guys kind of think about Austin FC that maybe I didn't keep up with, with the day-to-day stuff for the last year and a half and it doubles as a piece that people can click on and maybe get that same thing from. So, uh, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword there coverage wise.
0: And do you have like a, when you're writing stuff like this, I mean, y'all, do you have like a specific, Assume this is true, like target for that? I'm guessing like people who are at city council until four o'clock in the morning have been involved in every step of the way. Is probably not. I mean, who, who are you usually writing for when you're writing for that? When you're writing, Yeah, I mean, I like think this?
3: that's the difficult part of, of this journey, right? You have, Uh, a group that is hardcore that's been paying attention to this every detail that knows soccer in and out that knows major league soccer uh, knows the sport of soccer who may find some of it a little redundant and kind of like uh over there you know like it's just not not something neat. like I did an MLS for dummies pieces right that that went into Sunday's paper now that's not for people who follow soccer and follow the Austin FC journey for the last three years so you have to kind of mix in the coverage of okay, this can be detail-oriented for hardcore fans. Can you do some, like, lineup projections and stuff like that? But then you also need to do some overreaching stuff because of the 20,000 people in the stadium, there's only going to be about 5,000 that really pay attention on a weekly basis. There's only going to be about 3,000 that pay, on, pay attention on a daily basis, and that's inside the stadium. That's not even just people who are watching on television who listening to the radio who are reading the paper. So we do need to remember that a lot of the portion of the fan base is not living and breathing this stuff. And you don't want to go too over their head or you're not going to get the the readership that you need to for the beat to continue on. Right. Because we will at the end of this year go, okay, how many clicks did we get? How many subscribers are reading this? Is it worth it to travel to Los Angeles? I hope the answer to that is yes. And it's just up to me, I guess, to kind of figure out that balance to make it uh, successful over this year so we can continue to cover this the way. In my opinion, it should be covered.
1: We hope the answer is yes too. <laughs> Me too. It's job
3: security. I I hope so as well. I, I could in this industry, if you're not working, you know, there's it's not you can just uh, go uh, apply to the newspaper down the street, right? So uh, you know, there's only a couple of places you can work. So I would like to stay in this city for as long as possible.
1: I hear there's a lot of money in independent podcasting. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard that too. I've done that a few times as well. I've heard that I've heard that I've heard that well.
0: One one of these days we're convinced stamps.com that this is worth uh investing in. We're just not quite there yet. Yeah, well, I, the market seems excited. Right?
3: I mean, like everything so far has been really well received. Um everything I've been to has been w- pretty well attended. I mean, it, it does seem like this city uh is really ready for the soccer team and I think there's a lot of this city that is excited about this because they haven't had something before. If you're not a UT grad, if you're not a Texas fan growing up or whatever, the city has a whole sports wise. And so hopefully this fills it for that part of the city that kind of feels like they don't have anything on their own here. And I think it also gets the Texas fans that are waiting for football season. I mean, this starts uh, in April. You got five months to build that um, kind of momentum going into football season. So uh, I think it's going to be, I think
0: it's going to be pretty good. Well, do you have a bold prediction for us? So what, what, what do you see? Uh, where, where's Austin going to finish up? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a
3: clear separation, right? Like you look at the top four or five clubs in the West, you feel like, you know, depending on what order you, th- you think those guys are going to be there. I think they can compete for that sixth, seventh, eighth spot with teams like FC Dallas, the Colorado Rapids and stuff like that. So we'll learn early on. I think the interesting part about the schedule is we're going to figure out pretty early kind of how good this team is. I don't know what record they need to have to make people feel good about it after that seven game road trip, but I think we're going to know what this soccer team is uh, by the end of that road trip. So uh, it'll be interesting. I don't know uh, what are y'all where are y'all at with that? Are y'all kind of similar in the six, seven, eight spot?
0: Yeah, yeah I- we we are. One of us picked them seventh, and one of us one of us picked them outside of the playoffs because. They're a traitor. (laughs) Yeah,
3: it's reverse psychology. I do this gambling, right? Like I'll bet against the team I'm rooting for occasionally, and that way, if they lose, I still get a little bit of money. If they win, then I'm not too worried about losing that money. All right, I do I do that occasionally with UTSA football.
1: I like this strategy. I like this strategy. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. All right. So before we wrap up, tell our listeners where they can find your work and where they can find you online. Yeah. If you go
3: to statesman.com, uh, you just go to the sports uh, section and there's an Austin FC tab there and we should have, you know, kind of a running list of every story we do. We're going to have something at least once a day leading up to the first game. Um, we have some pretty cool stuff in store. I think that people, I can't really talk about it yet, but I think we have some exclusive stuff that's coming up. That's going to be pretty exciting. Um, and then on Twitter, you can find me at Craven Mike. I feel like that's kind of where everybody goes now. Um, and then we're going to try to do some like Instagram live stuff at half times of games since I'll be in the press box and stuff. And so that's at Statesman. Uh, I
1: think Statesman Craven. I'm not the best social media person. I'm going to have to get better at that. <laughs> we, can, we can try to find it and put it in the show notes for you. Okay. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Mike. This has been great. I right, appreciate it, guys. See y'all around. All right. Thanks, Mike. We'd like to thank Mike Craven one more time for joining us. You, we'll put uh, his his um, Twitter handle in the show notes, and then you can find his work at the Austin American Statesman. We'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. That's going to help our audience grow, expose us, expose us to more people as uh, this first game approaches and then as we go through this first season. So we'd really appreciate you giving us a review, telling a friend, whatever that looks like. If you want to continue that soccer conversation, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at ElviaHero87. Jeremiah is at J Bentley underscore ATX, um, and we, we
0: together, we together, we are at Moon oh, Tower yeah, Soccer.
1: That's right. We now have the at Moon Tower Soccer handle live. So go give us a follow there. I think we're going to do some sort of uh, some sort of promotion here in the near future. We'll figure that out for the next episode. But for now, go go to at Moon Tower Soccer. Give us a follow there. Uh, you can also visit the striker, Texas website to get all your, all the best Austin FC and Texas soccer coverage. What's a, uh, an article they should check out Jeremiah. Yeah, so on Friday, April 9th,
0: Chris Bills wrote an article about Rodney Redes, uh, with the headline being that he's proving to be the Austin FC building block that Josh, Josh Wolf envisioned. So we've talked a lot about Rodney and his development, uh, over the last few weeks. And I think his positive development, you know, and, it, uh, Chris does a really good job of, of digging into what he's able to do and what he's meant to the team, and it's a
1: it's a good piece that you should read. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in one week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer where we're going to review Austin FC's first ever MLS match. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around